Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my Lit Yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Lara podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today's podcast is a Q&A with me. I have asked questions on Instagram a number of times and then I get lots of, or I ask four questions from people and then I get a ton of questions and I don't get to answer them all. So I will take some here because I feel like some of these would be beneficial for multiple people to hear. Here we go. Um, how do I get a very stuck scapula to move? My right is a billion times more mobile than left. So scapula are the back of the shoulder region. We have our glenohumeral joint, which is where the, the arm bone meets the glenoid fossa or um, area of the scapula. And it's, and it's like that little golf tee. And the scapula is the triangular bone on the back of the rib cage that joins up with the glenohumeral joint. And to be, to have s- strong, safe movement patterns, you actually need to have a mobile scapula. It needs to be able to be freely able to move in a variety of directions. And those directions include elevation, depression, which elevation is lifting it up. Depression is dragging it down, um, dragging it or bringing, drawing it down or back to neutral. And then retraction or adduction is bringing it toward midline and abduction is bringing it away from midline. Then you have upward rotation with a combination of these movements and downward rotation. So there's a lot of movement that has to happen, but 
when somebody feels like they have a stuck scapula, the first thing I would say is, what are you, what is the position you're living in the most? So many people are rounded in the shoulders and the scapula moves away from its resting position, which is a neutral position. And that is usually about two to three inches away from midline. So when you're sitting at your desk, imagine this, and you're rounding forward, your scapula will move away from midline. And so it is starting movement behind the starting line. In other words, you're not starting in a resting position. So you've always, you've already lost some of your ability to move it. And then if it is like, if you're not moving in a variety of directions, you lose that ability even more. So the first thing I would say to this person is get your scapula in a neutral starting position, work on your posture. Review in my podcast before the three S's, skull, scapula, and sacrum on the wall to feel what upright neutral position is for the scapula, for the neck, and for the pelvis. Then you can begin to do shoulder rolls like I do in all of my classes, almost all my classes, where you lift the scapula and the shoulder up back down and and around like making a full kind of cycle. So this will help a lot in getting mobility. If you've got one that is moving in a hypermobile way, then you're going to need additional stability there. So the ways of doing that are figuring out in your are you resting more in a neutral position or are you in that rounded forward head and forward shoulder position? And once you pay more attention to your posture, pay more attention to feeling the scapula almost kind of sticky note. So it's not like it's stuck, but sticky note on the scapula onto the back ribs or a tiny bit of like duct tape, the double-sided tape feeling where you can pull them onto the ribs with strength and try and hold them there for five seconds, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, build up to like a minute. So you're working some of the scapula stabilizers and that'll help with the scapula that is maybe too mobile or doesn't have enough stability and strength. So I hope that helps. Another person said, is it okay to massage sore muscles or sore joint areas aggressively with lots of pressure? Well, I think you probably answered your own question there. The word aggressively to me is not something that I would want to use in conjunction with massaging. So massaging is a form of mobilizing the soft tissue around a bone, around uh, around a joint space, but it is not, the intention is not to dig in and, and clear something out in an aggressive way. It's to free it. And so freeing it is going to be more of a massaging. And there's different massaging techniques. One is where you're kind of Uh, rolling it, rubbing in one direction in this kind of fluid way, as if you were trying to move fluid into the bloodstream more and and the lymph into the blood, into the lymphatic system. That's called uh, effleurage. Another is almost like a kneading action, which is literally kneading and it's called petrissage. And then you've got different techniques for myofascial release, but none of them should feel aggressive. uh, Like you're trying to dig in and get something out. I am not into that personally. I um, feel that if you're holding your breath, gritting your teeth, or you're even bruised the next day, that then it was pro- it was too aggressive. So I don't like the word aggressively. So I think sore areas are, in many ways, you, you can massage them, but mobilizing 
um, the muscles around the joint where you're sore could really be helpful, especially in the days after some some event or activity where you were really sore is sometimes moving to get that lymphatic system pumping more effectively uh, would help. Massaging will help as well. And I don't know if you meant this literally or not, but massaging a joint is not something I would recommend. I would not get into, I, I, I stay away, away from bony parts. Bony um, parts can be very sensitive. So the soft, soft tissue covering it and mobilizing it so it becomes fluid is really something that I would recommend more. What massage can do is make the tissue pliable. So when you have you have bones and then you have bones that come together and form a joint and then you have muscles and fascia and other connective tissue properties around that what you want them to have is freedom for the tissues to grow to expand and then contract and 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 then the fascia will kind of glide over everything almost like a sheet on top of a fitted sheet just glide it over there and there is hydration that's needed and that the the thing about fascia that's important is you want it to feel pliable when it feels stuck or sticky. So it's not, it's not moving and gliding, but it's actually more almost adhered to the underlying muscles. Then that is something that some mobilization can help with for sure. Whether it's you mobilizing it through movement or having a practitioner work on the fascia. So we want to feel that kind of pliability of the tissues that they they can move freely. And when they don't feel like they're moving freely, when they're kind of adhered, we get a sense of real, quote unquote, tightness, stuckness. And then that can manifest in the sense of tension and sensitivity, increased sensitivity. So massaging can help with all of that. Okay, another question. I have a hard time engaging my glutes in plank and usually feel some tightness in my hip flexors. Now, another person writes, what does it mean to have hip flexors? So I'm in uh, hip flexors. What does it mean to have tight hip flexors? So I'm going to kind of address both of those here. Tight hip flexors is a fairly generic description of tightness restriction in front of the crease of your hip. So imagine going to the top of the thigh bone, or you could even trace on your, um, on your thigh with your fingers, taking that to the very top where the thigh meets up and there's like a little natural crease of movement and that creases your hip joint and the tissues that cover that hip joint above and below it are part of your hip flexors. And there's different muscles that flex your hip. The very superficial one that flexes the hip that's right front and center is called your rectus femoris or femoris. And it runs from right at the ASIS to the, uh, uh, or like right at the pelvic point to the knee. So it crosses two joints. So that's why you feel that stretching when you're in a low lunge. If you have, if we're talking about your right hip flexor and your left foot was in front and you're in some kind of 90 degree lunge, you will feel the front of that right hip maybe into the thigh. So rectus femoris is also considered a quadricep muscle because it, it is flexing the hip and extending the knee because of the insertions of it. Now, we also have other hip flexors. Uh, sartorius is, is a hip flexor. It goes kind of at a diagonal across from the outer hip to the inner knee. It participates in hip flexion, as does 
the tensor fascia lata, which is another muscle that is um, crossing from the anterior hip uh, to the knee. And it meets up with the, or it becomes, it thins out and becomes the iliotibial band. So it comes to the lateral knee, but it also is, is, a, is considered a hip flexor. The iliopsoas is also known as a hip flexor, and that comes from the inner thigh, and it comes up across the pelvis, and then it dives through the body to meet up with the um, iliacus. That's where it becomes the iliopsoas, and then that comes to the back body uh, as the form of the psoas, and it inserts at the lumbar fascia and disc of the lower of the lower spine. So there are a lot of muscles that are considered hip flexors. So it's kind of a generic term to mean the muscles that are responsible for, it's not generic, but it's, it's broad scope. Um, it's not isolating which hip flexor part you're talking about. So when you have tight hip flexors, it's often because you are sitting for maybe an extended period of time often, or doing something in a flex position, flex tip position for a long period of time, like biking or even running or hiking. And, and then all of those uh, muscles and surrounding tissues get, get kind of pulled in a flex position. And so when you try and stand up and extend your hips to get upright, and then take that into even a further hip extension, like in uh, a lunge, you really feel the quote, tightness of the hips. That's what it, that's what tight hip flexors mean. And low lunges are a great way to, to open up those on um, the front of the, the front of the hip um, in a mindful way that means you're staying neutral in the pelvis and working the glute muscles and the abdominals to stabilize the pelvis and give space for all those hip muscles to, to stretch, quote unquote, or open up more. Now, when you take it into plank and you haven't aligned your pelvis in neutral, the pelvis is tipping um, in plank, and that basically turns off or turns down the glutes from working. So for somebody that is feeling that they can't activate their glutes in plank because of the tightness in the hip flexors, there's a couple of things you can do. One is you can softly bend the knees if that doesn't put pressure on the knees or even put the knees on the floor which might feel like a modification but in fact it'll you'll get to get those you'll get those glutes turned on better if you get a little bend in the knee um if if you're unable to get the pelvis neutral otherwise the other thing you can do is put a block between your thighs hug that block and then really root the tailbone down toward the heels so you'll set yourself into more of a neutral pelvis and by doing that activating the inner thighs, which uh, engage the pelvic floor muscles and the base of the deeper core muscles, you're more likely to turn on your glutes. So if you don't have neutral pelvis, you're going to have a really, really hard time recruiting the glutes, especially in plank, um, because you're not weight bearing through the feet. You don't have other mechanisms to try and get the glutes on. So do whatever you need to do to get your uh, pelvis level, take pictures of yourself and look and see, are you bowing in the back? Is the pelvis tipping forward because of that height hip flexors? And if, if that's the case, see what you can do to 
alleviate some of that tension. It might be that you could bend the knees a little bit. You could also come against a wall and plank and put your heels to touch the wall to get the information like uh, you're getting feedback. So if you press your heels into the wall, you might have more of an opportunity to get the glutes turned on. So those are some, there's just some answers to do about the hip flexors. If you have tight hip flexors, what that means and how it can really affect you and impact you um, in positions like plank because it just pulls your pelvis forward and turns off your glutes. Start off in my classes, I always start with the reset to, to get that neutral pelvis. So you have more, you just have more of a chance of, of finding that glute activity that you need. All right. So other questions, is it possible to practice back bends like drop back into a wheel sustainably and safely? Well, that's kind of a two-part question. So drop backs are, drop backs into a wheel are, there's just so much that needs to happen to prepare the body for that. And I would say that a majority of the people are just not going to be prepared to try that without a significant amount of prep work. So speaking of hip flexors, if you have tightness and restriction in your hip flexors, and then you attempt to backbend, your pelvis isn't going to be able to open much so that, um, the that extra curve that's needed to get the the hands on the ground for like a wheel is going to be accessed somewhere else. If it's not accessed in the front of the pelvis, your low back will take it, your knees may take it, and your shoulders might. So it's for me, I'd be like, well, what is dropbacks? If they seem like a really fun idea and you want to try them, then you're just going to have to dedicate a large amount of time and maybe a significant period of time to work work for that uh, because you need for this to happen you really need significant opening in that front line of the body you need to be able to ground through the feet with the knees slightly bent and with the neutral pelvis open up your thoracic spine and lower with control so there's a lot that has to happen to feel like that would be even a good idea I'm sure there are people that do it and it feels lovely. There are going to be people who are more natural at it because they might've had this movement pattern in their, in their movement experience. But this is where yoga can be really um, detrimental is we get an idea of something that we want to try and are impatient about kind of getting it. And especially with something that requires a high degree of joint mobility, flexibility around the joint and, and pliability of the tissues, that's going to take a long time to get mo- for most people to get. So if you indeed want to try something like this, dedicate yourself to doing it, doing it responsibly and not hurrying the process because A, if you land hard, you can hurt your shoulder. I've seen quite a few people who have really wrecked their shoulders by dropping back and didn't have the control, didn't have the opening they needed. And the landing through the hand um, really wrenched their shoulder pretty badly. I've seen that happen quite a bit. But, you know, if it's something you want to work on, I'm not going to try and take it away from you. <laughs> For other things, there are, you can, just like with anything else, if you put the work in to work for a backbend like a wheel or like a scorpion, you can you can access it. You just have to think of what is required in it and not necessarily what it looks like. 
for all of these kind of poses, quote unquote, or types of poses, whether they're back bends or hip openers, be be cautious about the labeling. Hip openers, I don't really know if I even like that term anymore. Back bends, I, I've never loved that term because it it just connotes this this like just like you know a drop back, and that's a lot of people are just not prepared for that. And you know, if John was here, my brother John, he would uh, say, "No way, don't do that, Jose," <laughs> because he did that for a long time, and um, he did end up really injuring his back because he just went into compression um, so many times that when he did lift uh, lift a heavy object, he 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 ruptured some of his lumbar disc. Now, let's not say that that definitely happened because he was pushing his in range of mobility of his lumbar spine. But he would say it definitely set him up for it. So just like everything else with yoga, understand your intention and just be uh, safe and aware and think of other ways you could maybe access the same uh, pose or idea that is going to be sustainable. So someone asked me about skandhasana. So skandhasana is a low lunge, uh, a side lunge. So if you imagine that your feet are parallel, and they're more than hip distance apart, and then you and then you bend your right knee, flex at your right hip, and sit back. So it's a triple flexion move, but it's in a side lunge position. So that if I were doing it to the right, like I was describing, the left inner thigh, the hip abductors, would be getting this wonderful yummy stretch. So this person asks: Is do both heels need to be down? Is it, it is it okay to have the heel up on the side of the bent knee? Now, I don't teach that, and here's why, and I hope I can explain this well, um, even if you don't know that much about anatomy, you can kind of understand it just from pure mechanics. So the way the hip joint comes into the, the acetabulum and the pelvis is it's a ball, and, and it comes into the socket of the, the acetabulum. And when you flex at the hip, the ball of the, the hip joint of the femur head should go backwards, like almost like you were driving the femoral head back towards your, the right glute. So if I was flexing at my right hip, I, that femoral head would be posterior gliding. So going backward toward the right glute. If it doesn't do that, then the femur is long. It only has one other direction it can go, which is forward into the knee. So what I see happen is When people don't have that posterior glide of the femoral head and get true hip flexion, and it's often because they're living in a state of anterior pelvic tilt, they're moving their pelvis on top of the femur, femoral head instead of vice versa, the femoral head moving back inside the pelvis. So if they don't move it posterior glide it, the femur goes forward and it rams into the knee. And because that doesn't always feel great, we'll lift the heel off the floor so that it's like not, it's hard to drive the heel down and the knee forward at the same time. The heel kind of has to come up. So what I think is revealing when the heel needs to come up is why does it need to come up? Is it because you've lost ankle range of motion, dorsiflexion? And that could be causing your hip uh, flexion issue. So the ankle needs to be able to deeply flex, similar to the way the hip needs to be able to deeply flex. They're really analogous. 
the, uh, the ankle joint needs to glide back on top of the, um, underneath the tibia, just like the, the, the femoral head needs to glide back in the acetabulum. So I tell people stay up and keep both the, the heel down on the bent knee side for sure. And then see where you are feeling restricted. So if you're feeling restricted in the ankle joint, lift up a little higher and then sit back into that glute. So if it's your right leg, for example, you would bend your right knee, sit your right glute back, feel the right thigh bone glide back toward the right glute. And then when you feel like you can't go anymore, don't lift the heel, but stay there and see, is it pulling more on my at my heel or does it feel like I'm just stuck in my hip? And then work that, work the more of the glide of the hip or work the ankle range of motion. Because if you lift your heel, all you're doing is compensating and you won't gain that range that you might need in your ankle and hip. There are obviously going to be some people, whether they have like a labral tear or they've had injury to the ankle and have just a ton of scar tissue, that that is going to be a much bigger deal for. And I would still recommend not going all the way down, but staying up higher and keeping the heel down. I hope that uh, helps you in terms of skandhasana, the the side lunge, because I love them so much. And I just think that uh, people can, I know like for my left side, I'd had a meniscal injury um, from skiing, not from yoga, a few years back. And so I would say it was like five or six years ago. And then, so my side lunges were, I had to stay really high because uh, some of it was fear. I didn't want to put any extra pressure on my knee and I had in my, but I'd probably been substituting a little bit in my knee before the injury. So I really had to learn and take time to get my ankle more open and my femur pushed back more in the acetabulum. And it took me, I would say a year and a half to get low on that side where it felt like really pure, clean, fun, where I was flexing in all the right places. And so I just took time and it, and it will happen. You just have to give your, the tissues a chance to adapt to it and the joint to understand what it's doing. And then always make sure that you can get up out of skandhasana with control. So you're not sinking into the joint space. Um, the last question is, it's a statement first. Thank you for existing. Well, thank you for writing that. <laughs> uh, thank you for existing. What made you decide to lead the life you do and what did it, when did it happen? And I can, I'm going to say, I'm not sure. What I will say is that I feel like I was always pretty clear. I feel like I was at my channel, you know, like when you're tuning the channel and, and the one you're in locally is strongest. And then you start going out of that range and it gets staticky. I feel like I never went out of the range. I feel like I just stayed with the channel that was, that had a lot of reception and was strong. And I just never really wavered. So I, I, some of it, I think is real dumb luck. I think that I just grew up in an amazing family. I had incredible support from my parents. I had three brothers that were, that are awesome and were wonderful to grow up with. And I didn't, you know, the values in my, my household were values that I have today still, you know, they were not material values. It was about intellectual pursuit and family and fun and humor and athleticism. So I think I just started off with some strong things in my favor for sure. And then I, I just felt, and I also had supportive parents who said, be whatever you want to be, you know, and 
So I knew that I wanted to do something in wellness. I knew it just brought me such happiness. I I think I've mentioned before, I wrote my college essay about the mind-body connection before I had even ever practiced yoga or really heard much about it. I just knew from my own history how uh, amazing it felt when I was fully engaged in my body and strong and powerful versus if I had been injured or something and how it affected my mood. So I just was very clear from the beginning what what made me feel good. And I also knew I would never do a job where I was sitting at a desk. I just knew that from a young age. And I just stayed with it. And I did. A, I got into a profession that is a, just a wonderful, amazing profession where there's autonomy and there's um, there's so many options. You can leave it for years and come back to it. You could part-time it. You can work in a variety of settings. There's, it's not like going to medical school or some other kind of, uh, you know, PhD or something where you really got to, you f- probably feel a lot like you have to stick with it or, or you'd um, maybe lose a chance of your relevance and your opportunity. So I, I think that all of it just, I just led with my heart and I've always been enthusiastic about what I did. So I would say that just keep on the path that brings you happiness. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. I, I, I do work really, really hard, but it doesn't feel like work most of the time. It just feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. My life and my job and my my hobbies and my everything are, are there's a lot of intertwining. They're not, I'm not, I don't kind of parcel my life in different um, pockets, which some people might need to do, but I don't, do that so much and um, it works for me. So thank you for asking. I hope that helps. Thanks for all your questions. I got uh, literally about a hundred (laughs) more, but it takes a long time to go through them. So I'll maybe save some for another time. Have a wonderful day, get moving and get grooving and make sure you send me any questions that you have. I try and answer as many as possible. Laura at movementbylaura.com. And as always share this with friends and To keep me going and keep this podcast uh, vibrant, um, send me some questions that you would like and share it with friends and subscribe, rate and review. And if you haven't already, take a screenshot of your review and send it to podcast at movementbylaura.com and we will send you a free link to one of my classes, my daily lit classes. I have a different class every single day to keep you mobile and happy. Hugs to you. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.